morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. And we do welcome you uh, back to our series and our study entitled Like No Other. Now, we've, uh, we started a number of weeks ago, and we looked at the birth of Jesus Christ like no other, and, and we looked at the power and might and strength like no other, and well, a couple of weeks ago, this would have been the message about a death like no other. We were going kind of in order, looking to then uh, end up with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we looked at last week on Easter Sunday. If you're with us a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw that God interrupted our service in, in a mighty and a powerful and a, in a sweet way. Uh, just as we continued in, in uh, worship and in prayer, message of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so uh, we followed the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then we had Easter Sunday. We looked at the resurrection. So we're a little bit out of order. Last Sunday, we, we celebrated that Jesus rose from the dead. Today, we're looking at the fact that it was a death like no other. So just in your mind, just kind of flip-flop them. Is that okay? We kind of flip-flop that this should have or would have come before. But someone said this. They said that Jesus' death is at the heart of the gospel. Ultimately, it's the death of Jesus Christ as he died upon the cross that is the heart of everything from the word of God, the heart of the gospel. And as you take a look at Jesus Christ, you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospels and their accounts, you see that though certainly individuals had been crucified, there are individuals who had uh, been killed and uh, upon a cross like Jesus, you take a look at the events of the death of Jesus Christ, and you see that no one had a, an experience quite like that before or since. Certainly the death of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, is unique. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Word of God, paper, digital, whichever one you have got with you. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew, first gospel, first book of the New Testament. We're going to look at why this was a death like no other. There's a, a handful of features or things that were included in this. So we'll, we'll see why it was like no other, but what that means for you and for me. So first of all, it was a death like no other because it included darkness. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, it says this, Now from the sixth Hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all mention it. They all mention that there's darkness, and they just kind of drop it in. They don't necessarily bother to explain it, but there's not really an explanation. It is a sudden and sustained Darkness. Now, if you're reading that in your text and, and your scripture says sixth hour and ninth hour, we would be tempted to think that means six o'clock and nine o'clock. Now, the Jews, in the way that they would reckon their day and hour, they would begin basically at six o'clock, roughly sun up. So the sixth hour would be six hours after that. So this is darkness basically from noon. To three in the afternoon. Jesus was on the cross at nine o'clock, there till three o'clock. 
So darkness until the ninth hour, verse 46 says, at about the ninth hour, at about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this quote of Jesus Christ, it's a direct quote from Psalm 22. And what's interesting as well in this quote and in this uh, calling out and crying out, this is the first time that we see in Scripture, first time in the Gospels, Jesus is referring to God as God. Typically, he always would refer to him as the Father, the Father, the Father. And here he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is taking the sin, your sin and my sin, bearing our sins and that alienation. God is righteous and will judge sin. Certainly we see in Scripture, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was taking the price and the penalty of your sin and my sin as he died upon the cross. Now, if you've got kids, or if you've got grandkids, you hate to see them suffer. You hate to see that they don't feel well. Whether it's a sniffle, a cough, a a runny nose, whether it's a a boo-boo on their knee, a broken bone in their body, or anything in between, when a child, when a grandchild is hurt, doesn't that cut to your heart? Now, here's God the Father, His only Son, Jesus Christ, and part of this plan, part of this process is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, Jesus going through all that He suffered in the whipping, all of the, the bruising and the battering, the crown of thorns being nailed upon that cross. Can you imagine observing that kind of suffering? Perhaps that's where some of the darkness came. But what does that mean for you and I? Not just that there was darkness, but the fact that Jesus was on the cross paying the price for your sin and my sin, it means the price was paid. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. That's what that means. As he died upon the cross, he paid the price. Your sin, my sin. You think back to a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a whole bunch of years ago, and those sins, those things that you and I have said and done, he paid that price as he died upon the cross. And it's not just for those of us who have already responded. There are so many more people who need to hear that good news. Their price has been paid. I mean, can you imagine? You've seen some stories off and on where, uh, you know, 
some kind of truck is overturned on the highway and, you know, all of these uh, bottles or boxes of food or drinks are spilled and, and, and everyone's kind of trying to grab something that they can. Or there's some kind of mistake where, hey, if you buy this product, it rings up at like, you know, 95% off. Hurry up and buy it before they realize and change the price. I mean, there's, there's some good news that people like to spread. People said, hey, there's a fancy dinner, $100 plate dinner for free. All you got to do is show up. Probably be a bunch of people saying, let me show up for my free meal. Free's free, whether it's a hot dog, shrimp, or steak. So much more than a free meal, so much more than a free article of clothing. I mean, you know, at ballparks, there's giveaways, right? You go, baseball has started not too long ago. They have hat giveaways and little bat giveaways and little baseball and figurine giveaways. We like free stuff. But so much more than a free bat, a free meal, a free baseball is the fact that the price for your sin, the price for my sin is paid. You and I simply need to respond to it. Jesus paid the price. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was a death like no other. It included darkness for three hours upon the cross. But as Jesus hung upon that cross, it meant that the price for your sin and my sin was paid. It's a death like no other. Secondly, because the curtain was torn top to bottom. Matthew chapter 27, going back to that text, verse 51 says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, we, we read about this in today's day and age, and we, we think about a curtain, and, and we're thinking about stuff that that covers our windows. Maybe you're thinking about, you know, horizontal blinds. You think you've got some, some curtains and, you know, they're six foot, eight foot off the ground. In the temple, you've got multiple sections. There's the outer court where the congregation were permitted to enter. You've got the holy place where the priests were able to enter. Then you've got the most holy place, the holy of holies. Only the high priest could enter once per year, and it was with a sacrifice and with blood. And the curtain that hung separating the holy place from the holy of holies was that curtain, and it was what hung there. It it was basically saying, you can't go in. Only the high priest, only once a year, only with blood. Now, just a a few weeks ago in our renovation process of our bathrooms, as we had the the fellowship hall and the toddler room flooring done and we had stuff everywhere, you might remember on that Sunday, we had some, this this was incredibly um, strong and resistance, we had a piece of tape across the hall with a little note that said, do not pass. Because it was all kinds of mess and, and tools. They were trying to keep our, our floors uh, nice and clean to be sealed. It was basically saying, you can come this far, but don't go any farther. We don't want you going any farther than this mighty little piece of blue tape. 
Then we chuckle and we say, okay, do not pass. Literally here, they were not able to go into the Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest, unless it was once a year, and unless it was with the sacrifice. But it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and it continues. The verse says it was torn top to bottom. Now, only John's gospel does not include that detail. But as you take a look, as most would write about this curtain in the temple, they would say it was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and about four inches thick. How many of you would love a four-inch thick curtain? Yeah, because some of your hands better be in the air because, you know, you like that room nice and dark when you go to sleep. A four-inch thick curtain would probably do it. Can you imagine how heavy a four-inch thick curtain would be? That's 60 foot tall, 30 foot wide. It was said it was such heavy construction, it would take approximately 300 priests to set it up. And no one could certainly tear it by themselves, much less top to bottom. How many 60-foot-tall people are there who are able to tear something four inches thick? Now, if you've been around a little while and you've been around the church for a little while, back in the 80s and probably even into the 90s, maybe it made its way into the early 2000s, anybody ever heard of or seen or experienced the power team? Power teams in the, in the 80s and the 90s, these were a group of kind of bodybuilders, really strong, muscular guys, and they would travel around. It was basically an evangelistic thrust. So they, they'd visit schools and do some assemblies, and, and they'd bust baseball bats, and, and they'd bash through some blocks of ice. And, and typically in large cities, they would go and, and get these large, thick phone books. Anybody ever use a phone book today? Yeah. Some of you are like, what's a phone book? <laughs> a book of the phones you can buy? No. Okay. Back in the day, for some of you watching and listening online, back in the day there was a book and it had names and numbers, and that's how you found someone's number to call. It was a phone book. So big cities would have thousands and thousands and thousands. So they would take these big phone books and they would, you know, bust it and break it in half on their, on their legs and, and rip it in half. Well, this small foot-by-foot foot paper, maybe a couple inches thick, is one thing. 60 foot tall, 30 foot wide, four inch thick material of curtain being torn in two is another. But it was torn top to bottom. It's indicating God did it. God did it. And the message that it relates to you and I is this. We have access, direct access to God. There's no more separation. There's no blue tape on the wall. It's, it's torn down. You can explore that hallway. You can go anywhere you want. That curtain was torn. I mean, we've got access now into the Holy of Holies, representative of the presence of God access at any time, at any place. There's not a barrier between. How many people are the high priest? There's one. So one person could enter that place once a year and with the sacrifice of an animal. Now, 
It's separated. It's torn. It's wide open saying, not only the high priest, but you and you and you and me, we have access to God. We can come directly to him. The, the phrase in some of the TV shows and movies is, well, have your people get in touch with my people and we'll do lunch. You don't need your people to try to get in touch with his people. It can be you going directly to God. We've got direct access any time of day, any day of week, no matter what it is. You ever try to call customer service? And you're like, oh, wait a second. They're in California. They're not open yet because it's three hours earlier. Or you're calling them, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're closed already. Or, you know, this is National Lasagna Day, so our offices are closed. I mean, we're trying to figure out what days and what times, and, you know, if you're sick, you're trying to get to the doctor and the hospital, and you're hoping that you're sick on a day that the doc is in. You're hoping that your back goes out on a day that the chiropractor's in. We don't need to worry about day of the week, week of the month, holidays, any time of day, any day of the week, month, or year. We have direct access. We can go directly to God the Father. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20 says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. We've got confidence. We can enter. We can go directly to him. We don't have to go to somebody to go to somebody to go to somebody to hopefully get to him. You and I can go directly to God. We don't have access because of who we are. We don't have access because of anything we've done, but it's because of Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. Yes, there was darkness. Yes, the curtain was torn, and it shows that we have direct access to the Father. Thirdly, why was it a, a death like no other? Well, as we read on, we see that there was an earthquake and rocks split. Continuing in verse 51, it literally says that. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, you're saying, well, that's kind of, Normal, right? I mean, there's earthquakes and there's hurricanes and, and there's a lot of natural phenomena like that. But if this was the natural earthquake, wouldn't there have been rubble? Wouldn't there have been buildings that would have been broken down, torn down instead of hundreds of casualties or thousands of casualties. Nothing of that sort was mentioned, but yes, the earth shook, the rocks were split. Listen, Jesus shakes things up spiritually. A seismic shift, not just in the physical world for the earth and rocks to shake, but a seismic shift in the spiritual world because of what Jesus was doing on the cross was massive for you and for me. Paul describes some of that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How powerful is that? No condemnation. 
You and I, we've sinned. We've done wrong. We're always kind of looking back over our shoulder. Does, does everybody know what I've done? What I said back there, what I did back there, whether that's day, week, month, or years, our past is not always a pretty past. But aren't you thankful that Jesus comes, Jesus cleanses, and as we come to him, there's not condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. The sins have been cleansed. The sins have been forgiven. We have been granted a brand new start. That's a seismic shift, a seismic change. Because when somebody else messes up, boy, we hold them. We, we hold on to that. How many of you, let's be honest, a friend or a foe months ago, years ago, maybe decades ago, said something, did something to you, and you're still mad about it? Okay, I see some honest hands. The rest of you, you're just lying. Human nature. Human nature says, you wronged me back then. And, and we always say, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Sometimes we have trouble forgiving too. When people hurt us in the past, we often hold on to that. Imagine all the stuff we've done, our sin. And every single one of those things, he's cleansed, he's forgiven, and we are now not under any condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. That's a, a substantial earthquake of a situation. So the earthquake and the rocks split. Jesus was shaking some things up spiritually. Continue on in the text, Matthew 27, we see a fourth description. Why is this a death like no other? We see resurrected bodies, and it's not even Easter yet, all right? Matthew 27, verse 52 and 3, so after the earthquake, after the rocks were shaken, it says the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, kind of a euphemism, a nice way of saying Saints who had died, who had passed away, they were dead. Saints who had died were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine what that might have been like? Individuals, not just Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, but there are resurrected bodies, individuals who had died previously, who were coming out of the tombs and went into the holy city and started appearing to many. Can you imagine how weird that would have been to see so-and-so walk back into your life? Weird in a good way or weird in a not-so-good way? Like, man, you know... I was never the biggest fan, but I, I don't have to deal with such and such again. And then poof, they show up. Or maybe you are heartbroken at this individual who has passed, and all of a sudden they walk into this city and begin appearing. Resurrected bodies. What does that mean? It was foreshadowing resurrection that Jesus Christ himself would rise from the dead but also the opportunity that awaits you and I as a believer in Christ. It was demonstrating the power of Jesus over death, but it's a, 
a little bit of a taste, a, a foretaste, a foreshadowing, if you would, of the resurrection of the saints. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, he says that the dead in Christ shall rise. It's a hope for all of us who are believers in Christ, the resurrection. Jesus himself said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so bodies were raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead. And it points to the fact you and I can be raised from the dead. There is power over death, hell, and the grave. Item after item after item, a death like no other. But here's the final one to take a look at, Matthew chapter 27. We, we skipped over. I want to park here and end here. Number five is the voluntary death of Jesus Christ. Matthew 27, verse 50, it says that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He yielded it up. The way he died was miraculous like no other. In fact, he said it and alluded to it in John chapter 10, 18. He says, no one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down and have the authority to take it back. Listen, Jesus experienced what so many people have experienced or will experience. Death. Every single one of us are acquainted with that. There are friends and family members, individuals that we know who have passed. And yet, that's not the unusual part. The unusual part is Jesus voluntarily, Jesus yielded his life. There were other individuals on the cross that day. Three crosses, Jesus as well. But he willingly yielded and accepted death to take away the sin of all mankind. His life wasn't taken from it. He willingly gave it. What's that mean? It means his death is the beginning, not the end. In so many cases, when an individual, when a family member, when a loved one passes, we kind of view that many times as the ending because we think about our our time spent with that individual and and life together that it, it's kind of the ending of that relationship as we know it but jesus christ as he voluntarily gave of his life and as he was raised from the dead it points to the beginning of new life it points to the beginning of that life eternally with him he died in our place to make us right with God. Conclude with this story. On October 16, 1987, a Northwest Airlines flight number 225 crashed upon takeoff in Detroit, Michigan, killing 155 passengers. Only one passenger, four-year-old Cecilia, survived. She was found walking among the wreckage completely unhurt. Just prior to the crash, they determined what had happened. Her mother, Paula, had unbuckled her seatbelt. 
knelt down in front of Cecilia with her arms wrapped around her daughter. You see, Paula took the devastation of this horrific crash and Cecilia lived. Paula took the fall for a daughter she loved. In a much greater way, God chose to send his son Jesus who wrapped his arms around you and wrapped his arms around me and he took the horrific fall, took all of our sins, your sin and my sin in the midst of the wreckage of this world. Why? That we might live. God's holy and his love, his sacrifice of Jesus Christ is a sufficient one. Our good deeds, our merits don't enhance his love, and our sinful mistakes and choices don't diminish it. The question is this, will you receive his love today?